the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome or welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I've been doing a sort of a special on the Hooties. I'll talk more about those later. But if you want to call me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, the Houthi rebels in Yemen. And again, I wanted to at least talk about some good news. And the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary has come out with a 2024 report that just sort of gives us the great big picture of global Christianity that I wanted to at least touch on to sort of put things hopefully in a perspective that will paint a picture of hope. So I'm trying to remember who said it, that hope is great breakfast food, but not very good at dinner time. In other words, as you feel like you're getting closer and closer and closer to the end. But according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity in their 2024 report, there's lots of things to be glad about. And one of them is the fact that Christianity is growing. I know that on many fronts, it looks like it's shrinking, particularly if all you have to go on is the Sunday attendance at your church. Um, And particularly if you go to an established church or a multi-generational church, you might see your numbers shrinking. But for many, many people, the numbers are growing. And again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. So according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, Christianity is growing around the world faster than the rate of the population. So from 2020 to the midpoint of 2024, the world's population is expected to grow. Now, remember, we're talking about 2020 to the midpoint of 2024 to 8.11 billion or 8 billion, 110 million people. So that trajectory of growth is about 0.87% growth trend, according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. And so the number of Christians worldwide is expected to climb from 2.52 billion to 2.63 billion or a 1% point zero eight percent growth so the christian trajectory population is projected to be three billion before 2050 that's sad it's good news and it's bad news 
303-873-1935 because, you know, God, more people need to get saved. 303-873-1935. Thanks for calling. Let's see who's up. John, welcome to the program. Hello, Gino. Hello. Uh, yeah, I had a question. I was listening to a preacher the other day, and he was talking about how uh, God said to Abraham that I'm going to make a great nation of you. Yeah. Even though he was in old age and his wife was barren. And the preacher said, I think we can both agree, we can all agree that uh, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and I just wondered, <laughs> and I understand where he's coming from with it. But is there any indication in the Bible and the scriptures that God has a sense of humor? Yeah, what an interesting question. And I can honestly say I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. And so the I'm I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a not a flippant answer, but I'm going to try to take the question for what it's worth. Okay, I yep. suspect I suspect that if God has a sense of humor, it's not like our sense of humor. But let's sort of reverse that just for a moment. Okay, human beings are made in the image of God. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, God created man in his own image. And I'm wondering if that image might also be the ability to perceive and express humor. So I think that that's what we mean when we say a sense of humor, the ability to enjoy or express or to, to understand that something is comical or funny. And, and so there are passages of scripture that seem to indicate that God laughs, but I'm wondering if he's, you know, if he, it's not like he's laughing, like he's at a comedy club, but so, so to that point, the difficulty is that people perceive what is comical different. Um, you know, you've heard about the British having a, a dry sense of humor and some people having an outrageous sense of humor. Um, so, again, when, you, when you're tying together the two thoughts of God's perfection, of God's holiness, and then yes. humor. So think of perfection, holiness, and humor. So I think that would eliminate a lot of what the world thinks is funny but isn't. It's crass or it's right. crude. Like a, or, a bit more of a you know, snickering to the side, like watch this, watch his reaction when I tell him this, you know. Exactly. Whereas when I I'm thinking that really what he's going to do is say, Watch this, I'm going to perform a miracle that you would think would be impossible and not really like, you know, the humor aspect of it. But that but could I think, be part of the fallen nature, right? Yeah, that, I, but I think there's a couple of instances in the Bible that seems like humor to me. Well, hmm. like, for instance, in Gaza, I've been talking about Gaza and Israel. When the Ark of the Covenant was being used by Israel as a kind of a good luck charm, in other words, they would take it into battle. And remember, the Ark of the Covenant isn't a good luck charm. It's the place... Right of the mercy seat. But the Philistines wound up taking it, capturing it in battle, and then placing it in their temple before the idol of Dagon. This is in Gaza. So they have this gigantic, uh, it's like a merman. You know, imagine a fish with the head of a man, okay? 
And so they come yeah. to the temple the next day and they find Dagon flat on his face before the ark as if he's worshiping it. And so they, mm. you know, he's tipped over. And so they tip him back up. And then the next morning, uh, he was tipped over again, but this time his hands and his head are cut off as the symbols of powerlessness before God. I think that's funny. Yeah, that that I can see that. Yeah, I I think that's, that's interesting. That's funny, and and so 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 you see this in Psalm fifty nine, verse seven, where it says, um. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips and say, who can hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff Mm -hmm. at all those nations. And then Psalm 2 says, it shows God laughing at those who would rebel against his kingship. It's, It's like the comical picture of a kindergarten child upset with his parents running away from home all the way to the neighbor's house. So imagine the child says, I'm going to run away from home. And then they go to the next door neighbor. But there's obviously a serious side to this. So so yes. is there evidence? You know, some people might not think of those examples as bulletproof evidence. But good question, Great John. answer. I appreciate it. Very thorough answer. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number. Thanks for asking me Bible questions. Love them. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. The number, 303 303- 873-1935-303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Kathy, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you today? Doing good. Good. I got a, another Bible question for you if you're up Great. for it. Great. I love Bible questions. <laughs> me too, me too. Um, throughout the Gospel of John and elsewhere, of course, Jesus is rightly presented as the Son of God. Okay, right. as divine, as the second person of the Trinity, so forth. He always said, I and the Father are one, and all that. One day, recently, I was reading, and all of a sudden something came up that I thought I'd better ask you about. Uh, in Matthew, twice now, uh, that I could find, Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, uh-huh. which is from the cross, Jesus says, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which uh-huh. I do understand is a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, he's he quoting Psalm after- 22. He really is. Yeah. Um, then, which I don't think he decided hanging on the cross. What can I quote? I, <laughs> I think this is a different thing. But, um, but then after his resurrection in John twenty, uh, verse seventeen, he's talking to Mary, and he says, "I'm returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God." Uh-huh. So, since he is God, why would he refer to? God as my God in both of those passages. Because he is also a man. He is really human. He is a really human who happens to also be God. And so one of the interesting things that I would point out to you is that God calls him God. In, In the psalm, he says, 
he, he, he says to his son, God, he, or he, he calls him God. So in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, and again in verse 12, um, it says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your works complete in the sight of my God. This is Jesus talking again. So right. he is still a different person from the Father. And this is why Orthodox Christianity, I think, is true and why modalism is false. In other words, the, the Father is not the Son, and the, the Father and the Son are not the Spirit. So as a man and as man's representative, and remember his favorite title for himself is the son of man. Right. He, he is dependent on the father like us. So again, in what way? Well, in a mysterious way, because remember he is God who has another nature, a human nature. So in that sense, does he have to look to the Father for strength, for guidance and wisdom? Uh, In other words, so to me, what is astonishing, what is astonishing is that God takes on a second nature, a human nature, Mm. tains it forever. And I heard an interesting way of thinking about this. Um, Imagine, imagine you're writing a story, okay? You're writing a fictional story. And I guess there was a a lady named Dorothy Sayers who wrote an account of uh, a priest who solved mysteries. You know, I don't know if you ever saw Angela Lansbury and Murder, She Wrote, and and then they made made movies out of these um, whodunits. And so Dorothy Sayers did whodunits, but she seems to have towards the end of her life in her character, she loved her character so much that she wrote herself into the story. She creates, she creates another character so that her, her character can fall in love and be married. So some scholars mm. think that she literally writes herself into the story. And so it becomes like a metaphor that God literally writes himself into our story. Let me give you another example. Yuri Gagarin was the first man in outer space. He goes to outer space and he says, I went in outer space. I never saw God. There's no God out here thinking, you know, that atheism is true and and Christianity and Judaism is false. And it just so happened C.S. Lewis was alive at that time, and he wrote a response to it. He says, this is like living in the first floor and the second floor. You can't go into outer space and see God. He goes, a better analogy is, again, a writer. Um, uh, um, imagine imagine Hamlet wants to know Sha- He's trying to find Shakespeare, okay? Oh, How can Hamlet find Shakespeare? Shakespeare wrote Hamlet. The only way that Hamlet is going to be able to find Shakespeare is Shakespeare is going to have to write himself into the story. And the only way that you're going to be able to know God is God is going to have to write himself into the story, and he does in the person of Jesus. What's precious to me about all this, you know, is that God is willing to do that. Exactly. And not just to write him in for 33 earth years, but for eternity to be identified that way. And 
Exactly. Exactly. So he never ceases. He never ceases to be human. Uh, He will retain, and he's the only being in the universe who will be both God and man forever. And and so imagine that. Imagine he writes himself into the story, and then he writes himself into the story in such a way that he can be your constant companion forever. Praise the Lord. Isn't Praise that the Lord. amazing? Well, it isn't. It's exciting because when I read that, it just kind of jumped off the page. And, I, and I've been asking the Lord, I said, teach me this. I don't get it. <laughs> and so, um, I know, seriously, I mean, I, I've studied the Bible for years and years. And it's once in a while, I'll come up with some, well, not once in a while, but several times I have come up against something like that that I've read how many times. And, um, you know, then you sit there and you go, oh, wait a minute, I need to think about this. And I think those are, maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. These are times when we meditate that we realize there's so much more to learn. Um, I've been on a quest for months just to seek God. And I think sometimes these things are little pinholes where he says, well, here's another aspect of me that you need to know. Oh, yeah. I think it's astonishing. And I did a funeral on Saturday and um, Mm. there's a passage in the book of Revelation where, you know, what do you do when you get there? What happens in heaven? And they're Mm. singing and they're serving and there's Mm. learning they're singing and serving and learning. So there's going to always be a little bit more to know. So we'll never know everything. The Bible says we're going to know as, as he is known. But there is going to, there's something about being a human being that wants to know just a little bit more and just a little okay. bit more. And so apparently, unlike God, who knows everything, God is never surprised. It, 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 you know, imagine you say that God says to you, tell me something I don't already know. Yeah, right. <laughs> God is never surprised. Nothing ever comes out of left field with God. I, this I know. There was a, uh, somebody that was being humorous about it, and they, uh, he said, God uh, never says, well, if I wasn't on mission, that would have really taken me off guard. <laughs> and I thought, oh, dear, we laugh at those things, but because we have to connect with that somehow that in ways that so then is that partly because he had to submit his flesh to the spirit when he was the, here the, the bible says he to, learned he learns obedience by the things that he, what he suffers suffered. and so right. i i'm going to suggest to you that like a human being baby jesus infant jesus is going to be like every infant, and he is going to be like every child, and he's going to be like every adolescent in in, in a very real human way. Right. Okay. I, that's what I thought, but I just I thought, okay, I'll run it by Gino. Thank you. <laughs> no, thanks so much for calling. I love Bible questions more than I Me like too. to talk about Houthi rebels, but felt like I needed to talk about it. 303-873-1935. Hold on. I'll take your call. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. 
873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Peter, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Gino, taking my call. I really appreciate it and hopefully doing well on your end. Thank you. Um, Gino, I don't it's going to be a biblical question, although uh, I love when you uh, teach and explain about uh, uh, the Yemen and what's going on in Israel. I really love and or historical things. I really appreciate it because you go to a very, very deep detail. Uh, but Mike, so I'm not going to bore you with that. Or, uh, but I would like to pick your brain. Uh, my uh, my wife and I we have buried our doggy uh, last Wednesday, and um, I would like to know where do their souls go after they die. And yeah, I, I think there's a couple of ways of answering your question. And mm-hmm. ultimately, 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 we don't know. But I, I have a friend who's been on this program. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. And she mm-hmm. has the odd belief that, that when you love something, that God um, loves it too. So, so there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. The Bible doesn't give explicit teaching on whether your pet has a soul or will be in heaven, but the Bible does seem to indicate that God loves variety of existence. I mean, think about the planet you're on and the number of life forms that are on this. Animals are living beings. And, and of course, the difference between an animal and a human is you're made in the image of God and the animal is not. And Correct. so, so there, there's a couple of things that I would say. And and one of the things that I would say is um, there, there's an interesting passage of Scripture where when Jesus leaves heaven, <laughs> he's on a horse. He's on a horse, and the horse isn't right. from here. It's from there. Correct. So yes, so. Sir. So there's this sense with your left with that that there are beings in the eternal state that aren't human beings. And and so in that sense, we might find ourselves in a situation that 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 there will be beings and will 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 they be like pets? And again, I I'm I'm not a. I'm not a pet lover like you. I mean, I, I had one dog when I was like nine years old, and when he died, I couldn't bring myself to love another dog ever again. It was too painful for me. Too painful. I understand. Yes, sir. It was mm-hmm. too painful. But there's definitely animals in what we call the millennial kingdom. In Isaiah cool. chapter 11, verse 6, you, you remember it says the wolf will lay down with the lamb and the leopard will uh, lay down with the young goat and the calf uh, and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. In Isaiah 65, 25, you remember it says the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy 
in all of my holy kingdom. So apparently during this millennial kingdom, the animal world is in complete cooperation with each other and with God and with human beings. It's sort of like Dr. Doolittle all over again on the planet Earth. Um, so the, 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 my short answer is dogs aren't in heaven. My longer answer is there might be something that approximates beings who are in heaven that aren't human. Um, right. And then, and because there's that, that passage of scripture in Revelation twenty two fifteen in the Middle East, as you can imagine, dogs aren't pets. And so they're not, well, not, that's not true in the current Middle East. I mean, there's lots of animal lovers in the Middle East right now. But during the time of the first century, when the book of Revelation was written, it says, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So in that sense, a dog is pictured not as your furry friend who's your pet, but a you know a a heartless soulless scavenger who um isn't fit for heaven so You're right um to so that's my long story short I, it's like no there's something there because the stable it's a horse if a horse could be there why couldn't a dog be there but i don't have a good answer other than what i just told you Okay. Can I pick and follow up a little bit on this? Sure. If I may. Uh, I understand that uh, the animals, four-legged animals, uh, uh, were created on sixth day. So were human beings. Uh, the Lord gave them a breath of life. And he also gave humans uh, or Adam uh, a breath of life. That's when he created the uh, spirit and the soul. And I know that pets, well, animals do not have the spirit, or but the they soul. have some kind of a soul. Well, and I guess, um, the, yeah, it depends on how you, you we define that term soul. If by soul, do we mean an immaterial aspect that gives them... Dare I use the word thought or self-awareness or consciousness or emotion or a mind? Um, is it possible that they have a different or uh, a soul? Dare I, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my words of a lesser quality. Right. Yeah. I don't mean it to be demeaning to either humans or animals. Um, but apparently I think whatever the difference is between a human being and an animal that, that, that the big question then becomes, does the soul persist? Does it persist or does God Now We know that God created the animals and he said it was good in Genesis one twenty five. And then he says in Revelation 21, 1, there's going to be a new heaven and a new right. earth. And, exactly. and so, 
Yeah, so there's no reason to believe that there wouldn't be pets or animals on this new earth. I mean, if there if there's the proliferation of life in this fallen world, can you imagine what what the proliferation of life will be like in the new world? Amazing. It just I, we cannot even understand it. I don't understand. All I can do, like you, is just sort of, you know, I'm speculating here, and I want my audience and you to to understand. I'm not speaking dogmatically, no pun intended, dogmatically. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know, it's uh, God loves this creation. I, I don't know. I'm. I. I guess it's my wishful thinking. Maybe love. Well, he loves know, this. Creation. Well, and I, because you do love it, I'm I'm reluctant, but I'm going to tell you what I've said in the past, okay? okay. And, and please take it in the spirit it's given. Yes, sir. I will. When, Thank you. When you die, just call him and see if he comes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> It was going to be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lord, Lord, Lord. Can I see Nelly? Can I see my other Bubba dog? Can I see them? Just... And that won't be that wonderful. Hey, there you go, Peter. Here they are. So okay. Well, what, thank you. Well, what, thank you. Uh, well, what a great question, and you know, for all the pet lovers out there in the world, it's fun to think about, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so very much. No, thank you for calling. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you called. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Someone has called and asked my thoughts on um, on John Hagee. Um, John Hagee, what are my thoughts? And let me just give you... Um, just some just some quick things. Um, John Hagee's ministry is not one that I recommend, and the reason is several fold. Um, one is he is he identifies with and sort of not sort of he does preach a prosperity gospel, and um, John Hagee but basically says things like. When you give to God, he controls your income. There's no such thing as a fixed income in the kingdom of God. Your income is controlled by your giving. And I don't think that that's biblically sound or theologically sound. According to Hagee, Christians grow prosperous through giving because God created a universe where it's impossible to receive without giving. And so his identification with and his preoccupation with the prosperity uh, gospel, I think, is problematic. He promotes positive confession. Um, and he admirably, let me tell you what I admire about him. I I admire that John Hagee is a fierce foe. He's against anti-Semitism. He's an outspoken supporter of the Jewish people. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. Judaism and the nation Israel, um, um, he is a staunch supporter of of the Jewish people and um, and the Jewish state. Um, 
But I think that, again, which I applaud, I applaud that, but I think what it it does is it causes him to commit an even more serious doctrinal error, that salvation can come to the Jew without conversion to Christianity. In other words, um, that Jews don't necessarily have to come to Christ. But again, the most famous rabbi who became a Christian, Paul said, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And so John Hagee has been quoted as saying trying to convert a Jew is like a a waste of time. Um, But you might say the same thing about a Buddhist or a Baha'i. But the truth is, no, people need to turn from their sin, repent of their sin, and trust Christ. So John Hagee has said that the Jewish people have a relationship to God through the law of God given through Moses. I don't dispute the fact that the Jewish people have a relationship to God through the law of of, of God through Moses, but is it a salvific relationship? Um, Hagee said, I believe that every Gentile person can only come to God through the cross of Christ. And he's quoted as saying, I believe that every Jewish person who lives in the light of the Torah, which is the word of God, has a relationship with God and will come to redemption. Well, um, no, that's not true. You have to repent of your sin. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Jesus himself said to the Jewish people, unless you believe I am who I say that I am, you will likewise perish in your sin. Um, Hagee has rightly said the Jewish nation has been blinded, um, but he I would point out that that blinding is for a season, and it's not a blindness that is for every Jew. And so in Hagee's theology, the Jews um, can can hardly be faulted for not coming to Christ because of the ever-increasing anti-Semitism. And I don't don't dispute anti-Semitism, and I applaud his... um, campaign against anti-Semitism. So I hope that helps. 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the program. And in the just the last few minutes that I have, you know, I, I talked earlier about the good news, that Christianity is growing. Um, and the good news that some groups are growing even faster. While while Christianity as, as a whole is growing, certain branches are experiencing even more growth. Protestants, 1.63%. Independent church, Christians, 1.96%. Evangelicals, 1.66%. Pentecostal Charismatics. So among the Christian global Christian community, uh, Protestants, Independents, Evangelicals, and uh, people who identify as Pentecostal and Charismatic are the fastest-growing group of people coming um, to, to Christ, if you will. So the number of global Protestants is expected to climb to above 600 million this year. 
Evangelicals number more than 400 million. Pentecostals continue to to grow rapidly, climbing from less than a million in 1900 to literally the projections are if the Lord tarries a billion people by 2050. And of course, Africa and Asia are experiencing rapid growth. The fastest growing areas for for Christians are the global south. That means south of the equator, particularly Asia and Africa. Asia is home to more than 450 million Christians and is growing at a rate of 2.11. So again, global Christianity can't simply be measured Um, In North America, we have to think about South America and Asia and Africa and Oceania. Well, apparently um, by the year 2000, the Christian population in Africa had exploded to 383 million. In 2020, according to this research, more Christians lived in Africa than any other region of the world. And it's estimated by 2050 with a Christian population of more than 1.28 billion, more Christians will call Africa home than the next two most populous regions, Asia and Latin America combined. So think about this. More Christians will live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America than all the rest of the world combined. So Christianity is spreading globally. You know, in the New Testament where it's talked about where Jesus says, go in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Guess what? Christianity has gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. Not only is is faith growing around the world. It's expanding. In 1900, 95% of the world's Christians lived in predominantly Christian countries. So the overall trend is more Christians are living in different places um, than ever before. Atheism is shrinking. So, Again, their number fell from 147 million in 2020 to 146 million in 2024. Atheism peaked in 1970 with 165 million. So think about it. In 1970, there were 165 million down to 147 million in 2020, 146 million in 2024. So if the trend continues... Atheism is in the decline. That, my friend, is good news. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, I'll be back sharing with you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.